Hey everyone, we're back with the Sons of Sequoia podcast. SOS number eight. And in honor of number eight, today's episode will be about Lawrence Barra, a.k.a. Yogi, the man with the most World Series championships in the history of Major League Baseball. And what do you like to call him? The greatest philosopher of the 20th century. The greatest? He has more quips than anyone. He has more sayings than anyone. Yes, he does. He's, he's quoted by everybody. Great. And but also he has, a great, he has a great history, too. He was a very good baseball player. He just was very practical, and he, he was, a, he was a, a good person, a very good person. Yeah, just doing a little bit of research on him, it was, uh, you end up liking the guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's, he was crazy. He was good. I mean, there's so many stories about Yogi. Uh, so many stories. He was just uh, 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 a nice person. And upstanding, upstanding too. Mm-hmm. I mean, one time, I mean, we could tell a lot of stories about, about Yogi, you know, but the kind of guy he was, I, I, one story, and I don't know if these true stories are true. I just heard these. Uh, I haven't uh, researched him out or anything, but uh, he was at a, uh, some kind of a, a meeting where they were recognizing him for his, uh, for his baseball uh, accomplishments and they couldn't find him and they were looking for him. And I, I, I got the story wrong, but the, the gist of the story was they couldn't find Yogi. He was supposed to be on the platform or something and they find it. They found him in the back lot playing stickball with a bunch of young boys. That's awesome. <laughs> and so I don't know what the story was, but uh, that just stuck in my mind. That's the kind of person he was. He'll, he'll play in the street. He'll play in the backyard. He'll just play with people. You know, he, he just, uh, he's just a really nice guy. Okay, he won 10 championships. Uh, he was an 18-time All-Star. So, I mean, he had bona fides as a player, but... Uh, he's also, I think, mostly remembered for his quips and his sayings. And, but I mean, he knew what he was doing. He was a great player. Yeah, he's three, a great, he's a great manager too. Three MVPs. Yeah, they said they they feared pitching to him more than anyone because, uh, like uh, they'll say, Yogi, uh, that ball was over your head and you swung at it and you hit it. And you got a base hit, but why did you swing at the ball over your head? That was out of the zone. And he said, "Look good to me." Yeah. <laughs> and he had hit it for a base hit. I mean, he had hit anything and everything. If he wanted to hit it, it didn't matter. I think that's his stickball days. Yeah. You know, you better hit it because they may not throw to you again. Yeah. So he was a cool guy, and I don't know. Oops. Maybe we should. Uh... Should chat a little bit more about his history and stuff before we get into the the sayings. But I think the sayings will end up taking up the bulk of this hour because Yogi sayings are classic, you know. Yeah, they are. Um, but yeah, he was a let's see here a Navy gunner mm-hmm. in uh, World War II, and he participated in the Normandy landings where he got a Purple Heart. Like, that's pretty amazing. All before the age of twenty-one. And uh, Branch Rickey, the famous Cardinals GM, said that he'd be nothing more than a, because he's from St. Louis, said he, he didn't look like anything more than a AAA player, passed on him. But after the war, he uh, had uh, interest from the Mets, the Giants, and the Yankees, and he ended up with the Yankees. And of course, the rest is history. And he sort of bridged the gap between the DiMaggio era and the Mantle era. Mm-hmm. Now, I never saw him play while he was playing. You did, right? Oh, yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, Kathy, uh, she went to Yankee Stadium, and she says she'd wave at him coming coming off the field and says, Hi, Yogi, and he goes, Hi. He'd wave to the stands and That's say awesome. hi to him. <laughs> yeah, he was a little a lot bo- of players. A lot of the players didn't, but he would. He was a little before my time. And I think that his last managing job was before I was born. Uh, yeah, number eight. 
Uh, that, that was my number when I played baseball. That was number eight. Yeah, great number. Mm-hmm. The snowman. Yeah. The snowman number. So let's see. Yeah, he uh, he was a World War II veteran. He was a 10-time champion, 18-time All-Star. And yeah, he managed some World Series wins too, didn't he? He did. Mm-hmm. He he knew baseball quite well, and he knew he knew people well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just had a way of expressing himself. You know, he says we we disagree. But we I mean we agree, but we just agree differently. We agree different. <laughs> we agree different. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I saw from the Yes Network. It's a YouTube video. Yes is Yankees Entertainment and Sports or whatever. Their play-by-play guy, when Yogi died in 2015, he told a couple stories. He said he shared a picture he had of Yogi from the year before, 2014, when they honored Paul O'Neill. And Yogi was 89, and he was in poor health, and he was in a wheelchair. But they have, uh, they allow, it was Paul O'Neill Day, and so they give Paul O'Neill a, a luxury box for his friends and his family. And so Paul O'Neill shows up and he sees his family and his friends. And then sitting in the corner is Yogi Berra in a wheelchair. And he ignores everyone and he walks right to Yogi and he says, oh my God, thank, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. And Yogi was just cool as day. He's like, oh, I wouldn't miss it for the world. You invited me, so I showed up. That type of thing. And uh, like it meant everything to Paul O'Neill that Yogi would show up to his <laughs> Paul O'Neill day. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. He was a nice guy. He was a funny guy. Yeah, his sayings were will live forever because because they weren't just funny. They were meaningful. And I think that's that's why they've lasted so long that when he said it they had meaning. And and that's just the way he expressed himself. And actually it's a device where, you know, when you people use humor you laugh, but makes you think about it. When you think about it, you see the logic behind it. And he was a he was a natural at that. You'd say things funny, but then you think, what? What? You go, oh, I see what you mean. And he would make people think. Yeah, I, I read yeah, his book that you had. I think it was called "It Ain't Over." And uh, there was a story that stuck with me. I I forget the details. Of course, I should have looked this up, but. Uh, he was talking about how this guy coached, he was a third base coach. And uh, he was a good third, ba- third base coach because if there was a guy on second and there was a hit, a base hit, he would always wildly gesticulate um, whether the person should stay at third or they should turn the corner and go home. And he like he put everything into that. And so there was no ambiguity about what the runner should do coming from second. And he's like, and that, that made him a good third base coach. And he's like, and it's a little thing. But in baseball, the difference between winning and losing is a whole lot of those little things. And I think that's kind of <laughs> true in, in life as well. Uh, you know, the little things you do, they don't actually have that much significance. But if you do a lot of them, they start to. Yeah. That's, that's good. It's right. It's true. The life is just full of a lot of little things. And, uh, and uh, so many... Uh, so many things that uh, that Yogi would say had a lot of meaning, a lot of meaning. And uh, yeah, we should get the book and start going through some of his sayings. <laughs> yeah, uh, I could probably just Google it, right? Yogi. Oh, I, I mean, some of the classically, it ain't over till it's over, and when you come to a fork in, fork in the road, uh, take it. But his book explains the context in which he's. He spoke those, uh-huh. and they they meant something, you know. You do have a fork in the road, but it kind of it doesn't. It's not a turn. It's you're going straight, but then there's a fork here, you know. But you take the fork, you don't go straight. So it, it did have a meaning. It wasn't just it wasn't just left field. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> if you think about it, he was catcher, right? The catcher is the only baseball player that faces the field. Everyone else faces home plate. And so the catcher is like the captain on the field because he he's the one because he's not on the field. He, he technically is he's, he's out of bounds. And so he's the one that can take uh, directions 
from the bullpen. I mean, from the uh, from the dugout, from the coaches. And so he's the one who who's actually giving the signals. Uh, he's the one that can give signals to the pitcher. He's the one that gives signals to the to the players. Uh, so you have the catcher has to know the game. And I think uh, that's why he was such a good manager because as a catcher, so many years, he understood the game. And a lot of a lot of the uh, uh, he understood the game more than just the game. He understood he understood the game of the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. What I mean by that is that so many stories is yeah I think it was I think it was Boog Powell that he says yeah I came up there and and every time I was batting, you'll just be, just be talking to me. You just be talking to me. He says, how you doing? How you doing? What are you doing afterward? You know, how's your wife? Yeah, oh, you're pretty good. Yeah, you've been fishing lately. What'd you catch? You know, and uh, he'll be talking. Boom, strike one. He says, yeah, you know, I, I went the other day and it was really I caught a really big bass. You know, boom, strike two. You know, I really hope you have a good time and you really should get out. And boom, strike three before you're not struck out. And he just he was he had a game within a game. Mm-hmm. And, and he wasn't mean. He was just always talking. You know. And so, and so many stories like that, you know, I think, oh, that's not fair. This is, that's the game within the game. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't mean. He was just, he, if you'll talk to him, he'll talk to you. And he'd talk to you just like he'd talk to when he got there. Well, he, I think he got a presidential, I read here, a presidential, uh, an award from the president. Was it uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom? Uh after after he died by by President uh, Obama, but the thing of it is that he could talk to anyone the same, and that which was really cool. What'd you find? Um, I, I'm looking at some of his quotes. Yeah, it's too bad that it was posthumous. I mean, now uh, they give presidential medals of freedom to anyone. <laughs> well, Trump yeah, did. Which is- and yeah. he uh, sort of cheapened it, but uh, did you see this? Obama and uh, giving him the posthumous Presidential Medal of Freedom. He said, one thing we know for sure, if you can't co- imitate him, don't copy him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yogiisms. The uh, The interview with the Yes Network guy, it was right after he died. The guy started tearing up. He said... He and Phil Rizzuto were lifelong friends. And when Phil Rizzuto was in failing health, Yogi would go to Phil Rizzuto's assisted living facility every single day and sit there with him and hold his hand until he fell asleep. And that was the type of guy and type of friend that he was. And the, when the guy told that story, he started tearing up because it was very shortly after Yogi died. But that is, yeah. that is pretty cool. Yeah. The Economist named him the wisest fool of the past fifty years. <laughs> yeah, he, he was. Well, I think he was very practical, you know. And he would say things like the yogiisms, but it, it wasn't just being funny. It was being practical, and it was his way of his way of saying it. I, I mean, and I don't think, and I think. I don't know. Sometimes I felt like he was so into what he was saying and meaning what he was saying, he didn't he didn't always understand how other people would take it. I mean, I remember one time, I think it was a uh, mayor of New York and his wife was uh, on a ceremonial platform. And uh, again, I probably got the story wrong, but this is the gist of it. They were on this platform and it was hot. It was really hot. And so uh, he was sitting there, and across the aisle was uh, was uh, the mayor's wife. And so the mayor, mayor's wife turned to Yogi and says, Well, Yogi, you look nice, cool, calm, and collected on this really hot day. And Yogi looked at her and said, Well, thank you. Yeah, you, do, you don't look so hot yourself. <laughs> <laughs> he meant that in a positive way, you know. And sometimes it comes out and says, Well, you know what I meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what he means. Because he's not the kind of person who would be mean to people. But it would come out from Yogi. You can take it from Yogi. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know where it's coming from. He has no no malice intended. I think that that's, that, that says a lot about, about uh, his character. 
Should we start going through some of the, uh, I have a USA Today top 50 greatest quotes. Okay. Number okay. one is when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Now, people like yeah, that one. I think that's just sort of, go ahead. I mean, it's conflating a fork in the road with like a dining utensil in the road. <laughs> that's why people think it's funny. I don't think that one's one of the more profound ones. Did you say that he explained that one? Yeah, he explained that one. He says, oh, I was, I was giving him directions, you know, and, and there was a fork in the road. He says, but don't go straight. Take the fork. So it wasn't a it wasn't a ninety degree turn. It wasn't ninety degrees. It was a, it was a veering, you know. And he called mm-hmm. it a fork. So when you come to that fork, go ahead and take it. So oh, I see what you mean, you know. But it's going to come out very differently. <laughs> yeah. So number two, you can observe a lot just by watching. Uh, yeah. I think. I think that's true. I mean, that's kind of profound. I like it. I do too. I do too. And when you say the same thing two different ways, you think, what's the difference? Oh, okay, I see. Uh, just, you know, you can talk, but listen more than you talk. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, if you try to show someone something and they're on their phone the whole time and you know that they didn't really, you know, take it to heart, it's sort of, it's disheartening, you know? Yeah. Uh I don't know the context of that, but I can see in the in the dugout, in a baseball game, you're in the dugout, you're sitting there talking about, well, we should do this, we should do this, we should do that, we should do that. And uh, Yogi says, well, you know, uh, you just look at the game. Look what's happening out there. Look, look what people are doing and what we can do. And you can observe a lot if you just look, if you have to watch, you know, and uh, I, I, I don't know if they meant that. But I know that's very, very true, because when you play baseball and life, uh, you have to really be aware of what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get too caught up in the space between your ears. You overthink it. You don't just look at what's going on and get a lay of the land from what's actually happening. Yeah, you got to physically actually be active in watching mm-hmm. and then, then you can observe things. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's kind of profound. That one's profound. I think so. It is. Uh, this one's a classic. It ain't over till it's over. Uh, to me, that's profound. Yeah. Because I don't I don't know the context, but I know in baseball, uh, it ain't over till that last out. Yeah. You know, and, and it's kind of like, no, you, you keep going. You keep, there's always, when, if there's a chance, you keep going. You keep doing it. It ain't over. Uh, don't 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 check out until it's done mm-hmm. you know that's I mean, kind of profound too it applies a lot to baseball because baseball is the only game without a clock you know if you're playing basketball and you're down 120 to 80 with one minute left there's no way you're going to win it's over but it in base but in baseball you could be down 10 to 1 in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and you could stage a miraculous ninth inning two out rally and win that game because there's no clock. Yeah. And I guess, you know, in life too, there's really no clock also. So really. life is like baseball. Like if you suffer setbacks, if you're losing, it's not over. You can no, you can keep going. That's right. There there is some a lot of application in life. Uh, there's no clock in life. <laughs> you just keep going. You don't stop. There's no crying in baseball, and there's no clock in baseball. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Yogi said there's no crying in baseball. That was from League of Their Own. That was Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah, Tom Hanks, League of Your Own, League of Their Own. Um, number four, we got fifty of these, so. Uh, <laughs> If we do about a minute on each one, we'll get to about an hour. It's like deja vu all over again. <laughs> um, I think this one's its more of a malaprop than like a philosophical statement, at least to me anyway. Um, but I guess you could have deja vu more than once. Right? Yeah, I, I don't know. When it comes from Yogi... 
my my feeling is that uh, he says deja vu. You know, it's a French word. It's a French saying. And he knew what it meant in French. But he wanted to make sure the people around him knew what he meant in English. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, come see, come saw. It can come and go, you know, a little this, little that. Mm-hmm. You can say a w- word that's common or a phrase that's common in another language. But everyone may not understand that language of the people he's around, mm-hmm. uh, especially baseball players. Uh, and so you have to kind of like, yeah, and uh, clarify it to make it a little bit more clear for the people uh, that are listening. Uh, to me, I, I, that, that's what it seems to me like. I also think like from a baseball perspective, and I think this is true in life also. This is why Yogi is the greatest philosopher of the 20th century. Deja vu is a French word that means you see twice seen, basically. Um, mm-hmm. So in baseball, you may see something happen twice, a number of times, like in a game or in a situation where a certain guy is up, you know, with the game on the line, and you're like, "Oh wait," you know, and it's in back-to-back games, and it's in September, but you remember in July. The same thing happened. The guy was up in back-to-back games. So it was deja vu. Two days in a row, the same guy is count called on to, to bat for the game. But it's happening all over again because baseball is like this iterative thing where you do you play the same game 162 times a year. So if you're ever going to have deja vu all over again, it would be in playing and managing a game like baseball. I think, I think that's a much better explanation of that. I think that's a very good explanation, David. Because that's true in baseball. Uh, when you manage a game uh, and you see situations, uh, that's where experience comes in. And that's what Yogi was a master at. He says, I, I've been here before. I know what could happen. And I know what's likely to happen if I make these decisions. And so uh, a lot of it is not an equation. Uh, it is experience because it's not just what can happen. Is that what can happen with these players at this time, in this situation, uh, that type of thing, and that's that's why you can put in people that that maybe you don't expect to come through, but they do come through because you've been in this situation before, and you know what could happen. I think you're right, David. I think that's a great way to to explain that one, and that's a really good one. Again, I guess deja vu all over again <laughs> is not totally different than. You can you can uh, you can uh, was it you can uh, see a lot by observing observe a lot by watching you can observe a lot by watching because the deja vu is not going to mean anything unless you actually observe by watching mm-hmm. you know here I'm going to put a I'm going to put the URL I'm using in the chat so you can have it as well in oh. the Skype chat okay. No, you can pull it up and you could be looking at the same thing that I am. Okie dokie. Do you see it? I'm getting to it. There we go. Yeah. Cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. We got, got, a, lot to, we got a lot to go. Number five. No one goes there nowadays. It's too crowded. That's so true. I always thought it was no one goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Uh, I'm going to pull up another article. I'm with you, Yogi. I'm with you. I hate to go someplace that's everybody's there. It's just, you know, I like to go someplace that's calm. Wasn't he talking about a restaurant? I think so, yeah. Um. I, I get it. I don't really like crowds. Yeah. I, I see a crowd and I bow out. It's no. Um, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And, and he might be talking about like his friends or, you know, people in your age group. As I got older, you know, you go out to the bars and they're packed and you're in your 20s. Then you get into your 30s and it's like, that doesn't really sound like that much fun. 
you know? And so, yeah. and everyone you know sort of starts to sort of feel the same way. So it's like, uh-huh. yeah, no one I know goes there anymore. It's too crowded. It's too much of a, a mob scene. Now, this next one, number six, I feel like I've heard this one attributed to Casey Stengel. And I think a lot of Stengelisms get attributed to Yogi. But it's mm, baseball is not, baseball is 90% mental, the other half is physical. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to look up some Casey Stengel quotes. Because I believe... Now, do you remember Casey Stengel? Well, he was a little before my time, but uh, I remember stories about Casey Stengel. I mean, when I was real little, yeah, but not... I don't remember him that much. He was he was a colorful he was a character too. But he would say things like this, you know, that well that's not right, but I know what you mean. <laughs> you know, it takes both. And I think it's like sometimes especially baseball, you're sitting there, it's 90% it's 90% mental before you get up to the plate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and once you're up there, the other, then half of that's going to be physical. And so it ain't one thing all the time, you know, because it's baseball is, is real fast and wait, 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 we're fast with it. And then think, 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 what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Okay. Then the ball's hit, boom, you got to, you got to react. And so it is a combination of, of physical and uh, skill and, and mental knowing what to do before it happens. It's not just physical. You might be a great physical player, but if your head's not in the game, it's not going to work. You know, the, the math isn't there, 90% and 50%, but uh, the, the, the uh, gist of what is being said is there. Mm-hmm. A nickel ain't worth a dime anymore? That's another yogiism. <laughs> that one makes one's, sense. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Literal, one's literal and one's figurative. Yeah. <laughs> it's just funny coming out that way, which is true today, which is going to be always true. The older you get, uh, That's the more true, uh, more true that that <laughs> saying is. A nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. Always go to other people's funerals; otherwise, they won't come to yours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that one's a good one. I mean, that well, one's obviously silly, but uh, it reminds me of Grandma Flo. Uh huh. It's like if you get invited to do something, you go do it. Because you might not always get invited. That's right. That was her, you know, if someone says, hey, do you want to do this? You say, yeah. It, like, because you may not ever get another chance again. Or if you say no, they won't invite you the next time. That's right. That's right. So, you know, the, the implication here is that they're not going to come to your funeral if they're dead. But I don't think that's what he meant, you know. That's what it came across. And they go to, go to other people's funerals because those the people that go there won't come to yours. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's funny how it came out. Yeah. He knows how he meant it. Uh-huh. And I think I think a lot of yogism, he knows how he meant it. And the way he said it is the way he meant it. Okay. And he's trusting the people listening to what he's saying to understand it the way he meant it. So there's a connection there. Yeah. That's why he's a great philosopher. The great philosopher of the 20th century. It makes you think. It's uh, He's like a sage. His sayings. Uh, number yep. nine. We made too many wrong mistakes. <laughs> That's true. That that reminds me of... Uh, well, I'm looking at these Casey Stengel's uh, quotes. Casey Stengel in Baseball Digest in 1972 said, Yogi Berra could fall in a sewer and come up with a gold watch. That's what Casey Stengel said. So I think Yogi, he, uh, they might make mistakes, but it all turns out. You know, but if you make mistakes and it doesn't turn out, that's a wrong mistake. <laughs> I think that's what he means. Uh-huh. Like sometimes yeah. you screw up and it all works out and you just sort of go along with it. You know, you say, well, that's what I meant to do, you know. Yeah, I made a mistake, but there was no downside. But I think that if you make a mistake and there is a downside, that's a wrong mistake. And if you make too many of those, and in baseball, a lot of the things you can do are technically wrong, but they don't end up hurting you. You know? You can you make a lot of mistakes in baseball, a lot of mistakes, and some of them are worse than others. Yeah. 
you don't you don't go for the double play. The guy ends up on second. The next guy strikes out, and it's not a big deal. But the next guy hits a home run. That's two runs when it would have been the end of the inning. That's, that's right. A, that's a wrong mistake. Yeah. You made, if you make too many of them, you're going to lose the game. Uh, should we move on? Yeah. I knew the record would stand until it was broken. <laughs> I like that one. That's sort of like it's always in the last place you look, right? Yeah, same same idea, you know. Oh, you always found it in the last place you look. Yeah, why would you keep on looking? <laughs> and the record would stand until it was broken. Yeah. And yeah. he knew it. Yogi knew it. Kn- but but the saying says, congratulations. I knew the record would stand until it was broken. <laughs> uh, I think what he meant by that, I don't know, the way I take it, is that it's it's a way to congratulate someone and being very kind. Mm-hmm. You know, it was going to stand, but you broke it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's nice. He's being You're nice. the one who broke it. You're the one who broke it. No one else broke it until you broke it, because it was going to stand until it was broken, and you did it. So it's his way of being uh, being congratulatory. Mm-hmm. This one's a classic. You better cut the pizza in four pieces, because I'm not hungry enough to eat six. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> I think I think that's uh, his Italian heritage back in uh, in in New York. Uh huh. Maybe you always cut it in eight pieces, but then he says, "No, let's just cut half of it in four. Yeah, maybe. Because it, it's just because if you cut it in six. Uh, the whole pie in six <laughs> is more than just eight and then four of the, I don't know. Who yeah, knows? I think you just got to gotta go with it. Maybe just got to go with it. I don't know what he meant by that. I don't know what he meant by that. <sighs> he may have just been wrong. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't have won if we'd beaten you. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you can't argue with that. You know, it's just, yeah, but and it's kind of like it, it, I, that's a great way. It's a great comeback to someone who beat you and, uh, you know, like someone is arrogant and uh, flaunting their win and ha ha, I beat you, I beat you. Well, that that's a because because especially in baseball. Any given day, and that's why they have a series, any given day, a team could beat another team. Any given day, anybody, anybody on that bench could be a hero. That's the beauty of baseball. So, yeah, today you won, but you wouldn't have won if I'd beaten you because tomorrow I may beat you. Mm-hmm. So, so never think never think you're invincible in baseball. And never think you're invis- invincible in life either. Yeah. No matter how smart you are, there's other people smarter. Or they'll just get lucky. So, Sometimes you get lucky. Yeah, sometimes your luck yeah. runs out. Yeah. Let's keep going. I usually take a two-hour nap from one to four. <laughs> I get this one. It's like you might sleep from one to three and then sort of wake up and sort of be groggy from three to four. Or you might sleep from two to four, but you're sort of preparing to take a nap from one to two. I get it. <laughs> it takes him three hours to take a two-hour nap. Like That's basically what he's saying, I think. And it's that's that's true. I mean, yeah. I there's things in my life. It's like I like to go for a walk every day, and I take an hour and a half walk. It takes me two hours. I got to get my shoes on, get my my you know earbuds in, uh, cue up the news, go for a walk. I come back, I have to take my shoes off. You know, I, like gearing up and gearing down. It's an hour and a half walk, but it takes me two hours. So I can see why his two hour nap would take him three hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never answer an anonymous letter. Yeah, there's got to be a context around that one. <laughs> well, how are you going to answer it? There's got to be. He probably meant something different than an anonymous letter. Yeah, I don't know. Well, also, it's impossible to answer an anonymous letter. I know, I know, but <laughs> that's what I mean. He probably meant. He he probably meant uh, never answer a, a different type of letter. But this is what I think. I think he got in a letter, and 
it was like heartfelt, but it was from an anonymous source. And he sat down with a pen and paper and he wrote a letter. And then he went to send it to the person that sent it. And then he realized that it was anonymous. And he just wasted an hour writing to someone who had written him an anonymous letter. And he learned the lesson. Never answer an anonymous letter. You don't have anyone to send it to. I think that he actually responded. He did answer an anonymous letter. And that's why he's giving you that piece of advice. He's trying to help you out. Yeah. That's what I learned. Yeah, that's what I learned. It happened to him. It could be. Because if, you, know, be. if you get fan mail, and you're like, oh, I'll respond to 10 a week or whatever. And you get a fan mail, and you're like, oh, and you get done responding to the fan mail. And you're like, okay, send this to the fan. Oh, wait. They didn't sign it. It's anonymous. There's no return address. Like, I can't send it. I just wasted my time answering an anonymous letter. I kind of feel like he did, right? It's plausible. It's very possible. That sounds like Yogi. Very possible. All right, number 15. We have a, a lot to go. 35, 36 to go. Slump. I ain't in no slump. I just ain't hitting. <laughs> Yeah, I think I mean, I think a slump feels different. I'm, I don't know when he said this in his career. But when you're in a slump, it feels like something's wrong with you. I think maybe he felt like everything was right with him. He just wasn't connecting, you know? Yeah, not hitting in a slump or two or two different things. When you're in a slump, nothing's going right. You can't do anything right, no matter what you do. But you just sometimes you just don't hit, you know, sometimes you just, you just don't hit that ball. And uh, it could be a lot of different reasons. It's not a slump. Which is a good point. Uh, a slump is naming something like, oh, that's what you're that's what you are in. And he's saying, no, I'm not in that. I'm just not hitting. So just because you do something, you, you can't really name it to something which is bigger than what it is. It's something just real simple. I'm just not hitting. Mm -hmm. Don't make it into something it's not. Yeah. Number 16, how can you think and hit at the same time? <laughs> I, that's a great way to say it. I think it's just overthinking things. You know, mm -hmm. we, people overthink things all the time. You know, you think, 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 wait a minute, stop thinking and just do it. You can't, you can't be hitting and start thinking about what, what the next pitch is going to be. Just hit the pitch when it comes. And he did. Wherever, if he wanted to hit the ball, he was going to hit it no matter where it was. <laughs> yeah, it didn't have to be a strike for him to hit it. I think, uh, you know, people will ask questions and stuff, and they want to know minute details about things, and it's because they're just trying to avoid uh, doing it. You know, like hitting. Oh, do you think I should? You know have slight separation on the bat or, you know, do you think I should change my swing or have a bigger step or smaller step? And it's like, you can't think about those things. You got to go up there and do it. I think that it's true in life too. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll try to understand something to avoid doing it. Well, the best way to learn something is just do it. Uh, I, love this, I love this one. The future ain't what it used to be. <laughs> that will always be true uh and it's just a great way to say it it's yeah. so succinct uh again he coming through as a great philosopher it's a great way to say it the future ain't what it used to be i that one's i think pretty profound <laughs> like you said it will always be true <laughs> but you hear someone say that the future ain't what it used to be and you say to yourself he's right <laughs> I agree with that. No one, I never heard it that way before, but he's right, and I agree with him. That's that's how I feel about that saying. <laughs> Number 18, I tell the kids, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. Just don't fight about it. Just try to get better. Yeah, that's yeah. good advice. Yeah, that's not really like a funny or clever quote. It's just straightforward advice. I think... I think uh, I don't know if you watched it. I don't know if you've been watch, watch the news this morning. Uh, we've been watching the news and stay away from political stuff today in the news. But hey, uh, that could be directed toward uh, people today. <laughs> I tell the kids, 
hey, kids, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. Just stop. Don't fight about it. Just try to get better. Mm-hmm. That's pretty darn. That's pretty darn profound if you think about it. Yeah. Uh, we could say that to a lot. We could direct that to a lot of groups of people today that we're watching on the news. Yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, this next one, I like this one. It gets late early out here. <laughs> I like that one because it's like it's winter time now, and it does get late early. I think yep. maybe, you know, if you're playing further north, uh, like in spring training, they used to have spring training down in Florida. And, you know, that's pretty early in the year. I mean, it's February, March. Mm-hmm. And then you go all the way up to New York and you're further north and you realize the sun sets a little bit earlier than it does in Florida. <laughs> and that's that's yeah. basically how it works, right? It gets, yeah. <laughs> so it does get her. I mean... It it gets dark. I think he means dark. Yeah. But he says it gets late early out here. It gets, uh, late, early, it gets late early out here. Or maybe he's talking about, you know, he did run with Mickey Mantle and all those hard-drinking guys. And they might have played in some cities where there was no nightlife. You know? In New York, mm-hmm. those guys, uh, they'd be out until 2, 3, 4 in the morning. Chasing women and drinking. But you go play a game in Kansas City, maybe that nightlife wasn't there, and everyone turned in at midnight, and it's like, oh, it gets late early out here in Kansas City. That could be it too, right? Yeah, Bobby Richardson, Whitey Ford. And especially Mickey Mantle. He was the uh, seemed like the kingpin of the, the partiers. Yeah. Uh, he, was a, he was a fun guy to be around. He was just a fun guy. He had two liver transplants because of it. That's true. <laughs> Uh, if the people don't want to come out to the ballpark, nobody's going to stop them. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, that's just something you just say, hey, you know, wait a minute. Uh, you can try and try and have this and that. He says, wait a minute. If people don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. Yeah. You know, they don't. Yeah. I, I had the conversation the other day about analytics, you know. Well, I think we should use these analytics, these analytics, and maybe we should have these kind of forecasts. Wait a minute. If people don't like the product, it doesn't matter what you do in marketing. They're not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true in baseball. If they don't want to come, no one's going to stop them. No one's going to stop them. <laughs> it's, it's a funny way to say it. But there again, the brilliance, the brilliance and genius of Yogi can say it in such a way to make you stop and think about what he said, and then understand what he says to really make it impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see it. here. We have deep depth. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. I think that's just like, yeah, we have depth, but it's deep. Like our team, <laughs> you know, we have a strong pitching staff, but our our number four starter is as good as your number two starter. Our depth is yeah. deeper than yours. Our, our depth is deeper than your depth. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, how would you describe more depth? You'd describe it as deep depth. <laughs> deep, deep depth. Yeah. If you're a base, if you're, if you're manager, baseball, you know exactly what he's saying. Uh huh. Pair up in threes, number 22. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, it does. It makes perfect sense. Pair up. Pair up is figurative and threes is literal. Uh huh. Would you say that? Yeah. I, I like, like, I think Casey Stingle, he would say, uh, uh, oh, now I forget. I forget what he said. Let me think. Uh, everyone line up alphabetically according to height. Yeah, you know, something like that. Alphabetically according to height. You know, it's, huh? And I think what he meant was just line up. You know. Um, Twenty-three. Why, why buy good luggage? You only use it when you travel. <laughs> that one's more of a joke than anything. Yeah, but well, the other one. Wait a minute. There's got to be another one about luggage. About the suitcases and the towels at the hotel. About the suitcases and the towels. I'm sure it'll be later. Yeah, because that that's a great one. Because that you think and then you, then you realize exactly what he's saying. 
which reveals baseball players. <laughs> but why buy good luggage? You only use it when you travel. Because actually, when you travel, I guess back then, no one sees it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could, you could say that about, like, people that spend ungodly amounts of money on, like, Louis Vuitton luggage. Mm-hmm. It's like... They, it's a status symbol, and it's like, there's no way that luggage is worth thousands of dollars. You know, it's just a bag. Uh, 24. You've got to be very careful if you don't know where you're going, because you might not get there. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, 20... uh, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. uh, 25. All pitchers are liars or crybabies. Ooh. That's 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 wicked. Coming from a catcher. Coming from a catcher. I like this next one. Number twenty six. Even Napoleon had his water gate. <laughs> yeah, no matter how big you are, you can fall. That's uh, that's a malapropism, though. Napoleon had Waterloo. Nixon had Watergate. That's that, true. That's why it's funny. Well, it's funny because. One is Napoleon, the other is Nixon. So he's saying, no, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It could be I, anyone. I mean, he's just mixing up Waterloo and Watergate. Right. Because Napoleon right. didn't have his Watergate. No. But the point is, you know, you're going to have... Anyway, he just mixed it up. But you, you think, you go, oh, you mean, you mean Waterloo. Oh, Watergate, Nixon. Oh, and it just emphasizes what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, brilliant. He's a genius. <laughs> uh, Sometimes by mistake, but he's a genius. Okay. Uh, 27. Bill Dickey is learning me his experience. <laughs> That's, I mean, that one makes sense. It does make sense. It he's, does make sense. He's sharing his experience with me, and I'm learning from it. It's, yep. it's an economy of words. Why use many uh-huh. words when few will do? Yep, I'm sure. I'm sure. There's a a razor about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty-eight. He hits from both sides of the plate. He's amphibious. <laughs> Again. <laughs> That's just. I mean, he mixes it up, and it's clear that he just was thinking of a different word. But it's still funny. But I don't think it's as profound as some of the others. Yeah, it just makes you think. Uh, and actually, that's a I, to me, uh, that's a device when I was young. I noticed people would do that. If they want to make a point, uh, they want people to listen to them, they'll say it in such a way that has poor English or the wrong verb, you know, and it makes it, it, it says, wait a minute, that you didn't say that right. You say it this way. And it makes the person say what you wanted to say, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I don't think he meant he didn't mean it that way. Uh, but that's the effect it has. Number twenty nine. It was impossible to could it, it was impossible to get a conversation going. Everybody was talking too much. <laughs> I did. It's so true. Uh, yeah, I've been in situations like that. Uh, me too. You know, everyone's going a mile a minute, and you go, you can't hear what anyone's saying. Mm-hmm. They're not talking to you. They're talking to themselves. Just hearing themselves talk, you can't really talk to anyone because everyone's saying something and no one's listening i can see how sandy koufax won 25 games what i don't understand is how he lost five <laughs> basically he was that good that year is that what yeah, you're saying he, yeah he was really good yeah how in the world did you lose yeah he's really good uh, I don't know if they were men or women fans running naked across the field. They had bags over their heads. <laughs> that was yeah. A, that was a thing in the 70s, wasn't it? Streaking? Very, very much so. You know, they, they, they had streaking in the base. In baseball, too, because you, you, were, you could get out of the stands and run across the field. And streaking was a big thing in the 70s, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think baseball, because there's 162 games in a season, it's not like football. You can't have that stringent of security all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. They have this big field. They're playing 162 games, you know? 
like football. For the last yeah, the last 50 years, you had stands. I mean, before that, people would, earlier in the last century, people people wouldn't even have stands. they just come and, and sit uh, along the uh, uh, back from, from the uh, uh, foul line, but they would just sit on the field. Yeah, I mean, not the 20th century. The 20th century, you had stadiums. Yeah. But like the, the eight, the nineteenth yeah. century, yeah, right, right, right. They they just sit on the field, and some of the some of the triple A back in the twenties and thirties, yeah, you just come and sit on the field. Well, I mean, we've been to spring training, and there's certain spring trainings, at least when we went ten years ago, uh, where it's just a big grass field out in the outfield. I mean, you just bring a blanket and you lay it down, and you just sit on this grassy knoll and watch the game. That's kind of cool. It's sort of like going to a high school baseball game or a little league game, mm -hmm. only as professionals. That I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. It was I, great. I also enjoyed at spring training, you can get very good seats where you're 10 feet away from the pros, you know, as they do their thing. And then we, we were so close, people in the stands would, would be comment to the players and they would talk back uh-huh <laughs> you're right there it's you hard know, like it's hard to get seats that good at a regular season game the area behind the plate is wider and those tickets are prohibitively expensive mm -hmm. um should we keep going because we have 18 left in about 10 minutes okay uh I'm a lucky guy, and I'm happy to be with the Yankees. And I want to thank everyone for making this night necessary. That was at Yogi Berra Day when they honored him. I'd like to thank everyone who made this night necessary. I like that one. Because a lot of times when there's pomp and circumstance around you, you sort of feel like it's more for the benefit of the organization or the people that are in charge of putting it together. And you would be fine without a, a honorific. But... It would also really hurt the people that are in charge of those sort of things not to be able to do it for you. So they're the ones that are making it necessary. So you have to be there because they made it necessary. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think that one, I like that one. Yeah. I'm not going to buy my kids an encyclopedia. Let them walk to school like I did. <laughs> yeah. Again, the wrong words. That's, that's great. Uh, in baseball, you don't know nothing. <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure what he. I, I, what does he mean? What, what does he mean by that, David? Does it mean like uh, anything could happen, and whatever you think could be right, could be wrong? You I think so. I think, and it's like um, anyone that claims that they know what's going to happen is wrong. You're basically right. you're functioning on percentages. That's right. So you can make, like, it's like in poker. If you get your money in good and you lose, you did the right thing. Uh, because if you get your money in like that over the course of your poker playing career, you'll end up making money. But in that specific instance, you lost money. You know? Yeah. I think that's, that's what he's saying. Mm -hmm. I never blame myself when I'm not hitting. I just blame the bat. And if it keeps up, I change bats after all. If I know it isn't my fault that I'm not hitting, how can I get mad at myself? <laughs> so don't blame yourself, and then you don't get mad at yourself, and you don't make it worse. I think that's that's right. That's like I'm not in the slump. I'm just not hitting. So if you start yeah. to get mad at yourself, you compound it. It becomes a feedback loop, and things get worse. You can be your worst enemy. I never said most of the things I said. <laughs> yeah, he's mixing mixing it up, you know, because uh -huh. some of the things he maybe didn't say, or maybe didn't say it exactly that way, or or knows. you know, there's there's stuff that's sort of like something he said, and someone just attributes that also to him, you know. That's true. I always like this one. This is just he just it's a malaprop, but I like it. It ain't the heat; it's the humility. <laughs> uh huh. I like that one. A I lot. get. Again, he switches the words to make an emphasis. If you ask me anything I don't know, I'm not going to answer. 
that's more profound than you think because so many people are asked questions they don't know but they'll make up an answer mm-hmm. i think th- i think that's discipline i mean i don't know is a very good answer if that's the right answer yeah like dr fauci said yeah it's i ref- don't know it's refreshing to be able to say i don't know when you don't know the answer to something i wasn't able to do that for the last four years yeah not to get so too fa- into politics yeah, so Fauci was really doing a, he was really, say, he was really uh, spinning off a yogiism. Mm-hmm. Uh, 39, I wish everybody had the drive Joe DiMaggio had. He never did anything wrong on the field. I'd never see him dive for a ball. Everything was a chest-high catch, and he never walked off the field. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. He always ran off the field. He was always in the right position to catch the ball because he was always alert. He was observing a lot by watching. He was observing a lot by watching. He knew what was going on. Uh, I'd never seen him dive for a ball because he was always in the right place. There again, that's the 90% mental. Yeah. Or it's the little things that make a difference over a long period of time. (laughs) Uh So I'm ugly. I never saw anyone hit with his face. (laughs) yeah very true (laughs) number 41 take it with a grin of salt (laughs) okay that one's silly yeah again number 42 on the 1973 Mets we're overwhelming underdogs (laughs) I like that one yeah I like that one too hey that's that's clever, very clever, because uh, that's a good way to get everyone on your side, especially if you're the Mets. <laughs> yeah. Here's the one about the hotel that you were looking for. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. The towels were so thick there, I could hardly close my suitcase. Yeah, that was a saying. I think the bigger saying was, is this, oh, that's a really, uh, that's a really nice hotel. He says, oh, I know that. That's a nice hotel. <laughs> The towels were so thick there, I could hardly close. We could hardly close our suitcases. Yeah. No, he was he was stealing trying to. Yeah, but he was trying to uh, say this is a nice hotel, really Mm -hmm. nice. They're so thick, you can't close your suitcases. Well, why are you closing suitcases, Yogi? (laughs) Why are their towels in your suitcase? It's like that joke. (laughs) It's like that joke your dad used to tell, Sequoia. Uh, It was a. These pants are like a cheap hotel. No ballroom. <laughs> yeah, I like that joke. <laughs> he had a he had a, he had a lot of my dad Sequoia had all the yogiisms. He, he had his own yogiisms. Uh huh. And people loved talking to him because he would come out with these things too. All right, we make got you ju- think. We got six more, and then we can close off the podcast for the day. Okay. Uh, Little league baseball is a very good thing because it keeps parents off the streets. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. I go to, I mean, I walk in Prospect, of course, because of COVID. But a couple of years ago, I'd walk in the summer, and they'd be having Little League games on the weekends. Uh-huh. And these parents were way crazier than the kids. They're uh-huh. screaming at the and, and these kids are not good, you know? I mean, we played competitive ball when we were young. <laughs> Michael and I did. And we were, uh-huh. we were pretty good. Uh-huh. You were good. You take one look at these kids, and you're like, these kids... They have no shot of making their high school team, let alone getting a college scholarship. And uh, they're, they're lousy, but the parents are foaming at the mouth. And these kids are 11, 12 years old, screaming at the umps, screaming at the other team, screaming at the coaches. And it's like, wow, it just doesn't matter. Your kids suck. Like, there's no future in this for them. Just let them go out there and have fun. It's not animosity. It's like, at, at that point, if you don't have what it takes to go to high school and play ball or especially, you know, go to college where there's actually some material benefit to your ball playing. Like you, I don't think you should be that rabid about, and it was never like go out and do your best. It was always like the ref is screwing us with bad balls and strikes calls. And it's like, Oh, the ump. And I think that teaches kids the wrong message. You know, they grow up and they don't accept the results of things that are properly refereed. I think we're seeing that in society today. Yeah. The kids grow up, uh, when they lose, they try to find someone to blame and a reason not to take the loss. And it's the umps. They just, they just lost. Mm-hmm. 
They just lost. I think you're right. The other team cheated, and the umps helped them do it. It wasn't our fault. It's like, what, what was his earlier quote that we, you said applies to today? I tell the kids, somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to lose. Just don't fight about it. Just try to get better. That's yeah. a good quote. <laughs> it's a great, yeah, it's a great quote. Just get better. And I think also you got to learn how to win and learn how to lose because uh, that's going to help you in life. Mm-hmm. Learn how to win to complement the other team. Learn how to lose to try to get better. Uh, and so I think, unfortunately, sports can be a very good teacher for a little league to teach them how to win, how to lose, uh, to teach them how to get better. It can also be harmful. Yeah. You know, to watch your parents go ballistic on you. Or go ballistic on some ump. He's making $20 for umping a game. And you act like he's got some sort of stake in it other than that. Should we do the last five, six? Uh, Yeah. Mickey Mantle was a very good golfer, but we weren't allowed to play golf during the season, only at spring training. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) You don't have to swing hard to hit a home run. If you got the timing, it'll go. It's true. Yeah. It's true in life, too. It's true in life. Sometimes it's all about the timing. It's not about being good. It's about the timing. Being in the right place at the right time and uh, pulling the trigger. You know, if you if you it. keep that bat on your shoulder, you'll never hit a home run. So that's right. That's right. You got you got to swing, but you don't have to swing for the fences. That's right. Uh, I'm lucky. Usually, you're dead to get your own museum, but I'm still alive to see mine. <laughs> Good job, Yogi. I want to go to the Yogi Berra Museum once COVID's I over. I want to go. I want to go. It's in New Jersey. I want to go to Jersey and see Yogi Berra's museum. <laughs> if I didn't make it in baseball, I wouldn't have made it working. I didn't like to work. <laughs> that was like Boog Powell says, we ain't athletes. We're, We're baseball ball players. players. Yeah. We're ball players. <laughs> Number 49. If the world were perfect, it wouldn't be. If the world were perfect, it wouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be the world. Uh-huh. That's just, that's calling, it's saying what it is. That's right. And then that's, fi- you know, that's, pro- that's profound, David. That is profound. If the world were perfect, it wouldn't be the world. It wouldn't that's be. Right. It wouldn't be perfect because it wouldn't be the world. That's right. The two can't exist at the same, in the same place at the same time. That ain't, that ain't the world. Hey, David, tell me the 50th one. A lot of guys go, hey, yogi, say a yogiism. I tell them I don't know any. They want me to make one up. I don't make them up. I don't even know when I say it. They're the truth, and it's the truth. I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> hey, true. He doesn't make them up. He just says it. He just talks. He just they, says it. They just happen. Yeah. Yeah. A yogiism is not what he creates. I mean, he doesn't try to make a yogiism. Uh, that's why they're so profound. Because he's just talking. That's his personality. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody has a personality. Don't try to be someone you're not. Be authentic. Be real. Be like Yogi. Just call it the way you see it. And I think that, and also uh, uh, be honest. And he was. And I think from that, then people can create their own yogiisms or your isms uh if you're if you're just being yourself just be yourself i think that's a good lesson and that's a good place to stop for the day i think so we covered we discussed yogi and we talked about how he's the greatest philosopher of the 20th century went through some of his most memorable quotes there's one more though that i want to say that they didn't include on this list so can we do one more yeah it's about theory and practice. I like this one. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yogi said, in theory, there's no difference between practice and theory. In practice, there is. Now, the people who, who do it understand exactly what that means. That's mm-hmm. true. It's so true. Looking on the outside in, you got to be there to say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about all the theory you want, but you just got to do it, man. 
Well, I mean, I think a theoretical physicist arguing with an applied physicist would come to that same conclusion. I think a, a political theory teacher arguing with a city councilman would come to that same conclusion. You should have these ideals, but in practice, there's constraints of reality that make you compromise those ideals or sort of adopt a different set of ideals. So I think that uh, the future ain't what it used to be. And although there's theoretically a perfect world, if the world were perfect, it wouldn't be. So we just got to keep on practicing to try to make it a better place, right? And just be yourself. Be yourself. Be yourself. And just keep on practicing. All right, let's wrap it up there. Yeah, and keep on talking, but just listen more than you talk. Uh, we'll talk to you guys in the next one. Bye. Bye.